The title of my message this morning is Dumpster Diving Deliverer. <laughs> Dumpster Diving Deliverer. Now, I work hard on these titles for you guys. I hope you, I hope you appreciate that. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. This is a psalm of David. This is a man of God that knew what it was to be on the mountain. He knew what it was to be in the valley. He knew what it was to get it right, and he knew what it was to get it wrong. How many of you can identify with that at all? Amen? David said it like this. This is after a period where David had been walking in disobedience, really. I mean, he had failed God quite a bit. And David says this in Psalm 40, 1 and 2. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord... He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. The King James says the miry clay. The word miry, M-I-R-Y, means muddy, slimy, horrible, muddy, slimy, nasty, trashy pit. Somewhat similar to what you might think of a dumpster, amen? David said, my life had got to that place where I was living in a trash heap, living in the dumpster. I was... Away from God, I, I was not living where I needed to be, and my life was not good. But rather than leaving me in the dumpster, God reached down in his arms and his love of mercy, pulled me up out of the pit, set my feet on solid ground, making my steps secure. Amen? With that thought in mind, bow with me this morning. Father, we love you today from the depths of our heart. It's a privilege to be called the child of God and to sit at your table. Lord, you've already... In, a, in an awesome way, put this service together. Lord, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't do this good in our own flesh, Lord. It's obvious that you're here, that your heart is reaching out to the hearts of man here today. And we just pray this morning that that connection might be made, that you might silence the lies of the enemy. And today, Lord, make your gospel, make your, your love, your invitation clear to every heart today, Lord. We thank you for not giving, us, not giving up on us. We thank you for not leaving us where you found us, but lifting us up, Lord, and making us a new creation. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 So, how many of you know what a dumpster diver is? How many of you are a dumpster diver? Raise your hand. We, may, we have a few in, in the place today. So that's all right. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No shame in that at all. There's, that's actually, actually kind of honorable. Um, this is my definition of a dumpster diver. I didn't Google this or look it up in Webster. I'm not sure Webster would have a definition for dumpster diver. But if Webster had a definition for dumpster diver, this is what I think it would say. That which has been thrown away and deemed useless by one person is rescued, restored, and made useful by another person. Let me repeat that. That which has been thrown away and deemed useless by one person is rescued, restored, and made useful by another. Amen? So there's something, there's, there's people that just have this certain knack for seeing value in something that everybody else doesn't. Right? Uh, Jeff is one of these people that can take a piece of junk and turn it into something and sell it. You know, and, and uh, my dad is, has a great knack for that. My dad, there's times where there was a, a dump over there by the uh, treatment plant where he used to work, and he'd look through that every now and again, and he'd, he'd bring me stuff, and he'd, he'd say, look, show me something. He'd be, can you believe somebody threw this in the dumpster or in the dump? And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yes, I can believe that somebody <laughs> threw that in the dump. And, and if, if, if it were up to me, that's exactly where it would still be, you know, but, uh, but he sees, you know, people like that uh, see something, and most people just don't want to mess with it. That's the thing for me. I throw something, if something gets broke, 
you know, I, I just don't want to mess with it. I, just get, I want to just keep going and get something that's new and fresh and works, and I just want to mess with it. But some people are willing to take the time to mess with junk and, and tweak it and turn it and change it and, and make it useful into something. And there's, there's some sort of sick, twisted pleasure they get out of that, okay? But it's a picture-perfect example of what Jesus Christ sees when he looks at all of us, Amen? That us, based on our past sins, no matter how bad those were, no matter what our past looks like, some of us have some really colorful and, and rough pa- you know, past and maybe been involved in some major sins. Other people that have been fairly decent, you know, I mean, you know, for the most part, moral people haven't really got into a lot, but the thing about it is it really doesn't matter what the past looks like, it all looks the same to God. It's still a dumpster, it's still a junk heap of sin and disobedience. And God says, but rather than looking at it and like I would do and say, you know what, that's junk and that's right where it, be- that's where it deserves to be, in the dumpster. And I'm just gonna leave it there. God says, I-, I see something that I can change. I see something that I can tweak. I see something that I can make better. I can take this which has been deemed useless by some, by the world, and I can make it into something useful. I love that. I like uh I like to watch, don't make fun of me, a lot of guys like to watch HGTV. That is a thing. Don't make fun of me. There's a lot of guys that like to watch HGTV. Thank you. All right. So, uh, you know, I watch, I watch boxing afterwards, you know, to regain my manhood or something, you know, but uh, I like watching HGTV. In fact, a lot of the ideas from around here and in my home come from watching HGTV, but um, one of the shows I like to watch on HGD, HGTV is uh, Flea Market Flip. How many of you have ever seen Flea Market Flip? All right, a lot of people. I knew you would like that show. But, and basically, it's what they do. In Flea Market Flip, these, it's a competition. Long story short, they go out to these uh, flea markets or um, junk sales, and they just find stuff that's all broken down and useless stuff that most of us would just walk past, and they'll take it, and they'll restore it, and then they'll resell it and see who can make the most profit on it. But I was watching that the other day, And the host, there was one particular item, I don't even remember what it was, a nightstand or something, that they had made it, they'd remade it, and the host was looking at the finished product, okay, and it was beautiful, and she was looking at the finished product, and she said, that's amazing, she said, that thing was destined for the dumpster, and that just stuck in my, as a preacher, you know, those types of things stick in your head, and I got a notebook, I was like, ooh, that's pretty good, and so I wrote it down, and I began to think about you and I as human beings, all of us as human beings are destined for the dumpster. We've all sinned and been broken and, and, and sinned against the law of God, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Is death. Every sin, not, the, not just the bad ones, it didn't say the wages of drunkenness or the wages of uh, the payment and the punishment for adultery is death, but, you know, a lie, a little white lie, you know, that we're okay. there's not like a, you know, it's, it's not like a uh, totem pole of, well, this is a bad sin, this is a good sin. The, the wages of sin is death, every sin, no matter whether you've committed one, whether you've committed one million. I'm, I would be more towards the one million side of the spectrum. Doesn't matter, it's all sin, and the wages of those sin is death. Destined for hell. Destined for eternal separation for God. Destined for the dumpster to be cast out. But God saw value in every human soul. If you're human today, say amen. 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 God seen value in every human soul to the point 
he was willing to go into the miry clay, go into the pit, go into the dumpster, and rescue lost souls. Hallelujah. It's an amazing thing to me. That's where Jesus found me, man. He found me on the trash heap of humanity. I wasn't like in a preacher pool over here. God said, I need, I need some preachers, so I'm going to go through the preacher pool. The, the guys who have always done it right, and the guys who have always been sinless, and the guys who have, not at all. He looked on the trash heap of humanity and saw some value that maybe other people couldn't have seen. And I like, I like what Mark Hall uh, said, the lead singer of Casting Crowns. He said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen? I like that. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody, regardless of the sins of the past. Aren't you glad there's not a threshold? And I know a lot of religions, even a lot of Christian churches, will try to make some sort of threshold as to if you've been too bad. I mean, I've heard people make comments about, you know, people who were like, remember Brother Roy has testified before about, you know, before he got saved and called in, uh, to be a preacher that he uh, was an alcoholic and, and people in the church, he was at church and people in the church said, he ain't never going to change. He's a lost cause. That was the mentality of some of the church people. And his mom stepped up and said, I will not accept that. Amen. He's not a lost cause. Well, God didn't think so either. He saved him and called him into the ministry and he was in the ministry for 60 some odd years. Still is, really. He's 92, three years old. Um, people and churches, we, we try to make this threshold. Well, it's just, and God says, I don't care how deep you get. I'm going to reach down to pull you out. <laughs> Amen. If you'll allow me to. David got deep. David said, man, I was in a, a slimy, muddy pit and my life was just getting worse. And it will. The, the longer we reject Jesus Christ, the worse our life will get. Now, and I, I mean, you may make all kinds of money and life may be perfect, but it's not perfect. How many of you know that? I'm not saying that your life is going to get just horrible, but I'm saying that the longer we put off Jesus, the more hard our heart gets, the more cold we get in our soul, and the harder it is for the Spirit of God to get through to us. That's why as soon as God is dealing with our hearts, we should act upon that. Amen? All he's trying to do is get you out of the dumpster. Amen? He's a dumpster diving deliverer. Jesus said, I see where you're at, and I want to deliver you out of that. I don't want to condemn you. Jesus said, look, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. You know why Jesus didn't condemn people when he was walking this earth? Because they were already condemned. He said, people are already condemned. What does it mean to be condemned? It means to literally be separated. It's like being on death row. It's like being, you're going to be destroyed and the whole world is condemned. Jesus said, you're already condemned. I didn't come to condemn you further. I came to give you a way out of your condemnation. If you, if, you took that, if you took that way out and you're glad you did, shout amen for me this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I'm, just, I'm not going to leave you in the trash heap that I found you in. He's got work to do, right? That's, that's what it's about is finding something in the trash heap. You don't, you don't leave it the way it is. You, you have vision for that, that trash, for that useless, you have a vision for it. Here's what I want. But it, sometimes it takes time. It takes skill by a master's hand to, to change it. And God says, look, I'm not gonna, I'm, you're not going to be made new overnight. 
In, in the sense of, I'm not, it's a lifelong process in which God is changing us and making us useful for his kingdom. Amen? I want you to turn into Mark chapter number two. Mark chapter two, along the lines of verse 13. I want to talk about a party that Jesus attended and the kind of people that were there. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, First of all, let me say this. You guys remember last week I talked about that tax collector. Remember the two guys that went to the temple to pray? Remember we talked a little bit about what a tax collector, when you see tax collector or publican in the Bible, it's always spoken of in a derogatory manner. The tax collectors were dishonest people for the most part. Chris's taxes are $200, but I'm going to tell him it's $500. Take the $200 he really owes the Roman government, pay that, and I'm going to stick the other $300 in my pocket. That's the way tax collectors were. And people hated them. They were very deceitful. And so Jesus, think about this. I mean, this is important for us to understand. If you're a human today, and and most of us today acknowledge that we were, uh, I'm not sure where the rest of y'all stand, but most of us acknowledge humanity today. Um, You can get to understand that as Jesus is, is he's gathering his team, okay? He's calling his disciples, He's literally calling preachers. The people, Jesus knew that his ministry was going to be about a three-year-long ministry. He was going to teach. He was going to show the world the heart of God, show us the path to God, and then he was going to die on the cross of Calvary to pay that penalty of death we acknowledged a minute ago we all deserve because the wages of sin is death. So rather than us have to pay that, rather than us have to die for our sins, Jesus said, I'm going to die for you. And that was about a three-year period. But Jesus said, once I have been crucified and then once I've died, I'm going to raise again on the third day. And he went back to the Father where he remains today, making intercession for us, the Bible says. So when Jesus is calling his disciples, it's not just a bunch of guys who are going to you know, be his lackeys and just kind of follow him around for three years. These were the men he was going to hand the baton to. These are the guys he was going to pass the torch to. These are the guys that are going to carry the gospel to the world after Jesus is gone. This is an important list of men he's choosing here. And he walks by and he sees Levi, a tax collector, a cheat, a scoundrel. And he decides, I'm going to call him. (laughs) We wouldn't have called him, right? We wouldn't have chosen him. Jesus walks by, he sees Levi, and he says, follow me. You know what Levi did? He followed him. He left the money, he left his job, he left this. There was something about Christ that drew him to Jesus. And he decided, I think I'll just take Jesus up on his offer. You know, that's what salvation is all about. I'm not here this morning to complicate it at all. Salvation is so simple. It is literally just saying to God, I'm a sinner. I admit that. And I think rather than die and go to hell and pay for all of my sins myself, 
I think I'll just take you up on your offer. <laughs> It'll get any easier than that. It's as simple as it is. It's not something that just takes place at a church altar. It's something that takes place in your heart when you've resolved it in your mind. I'm just going to take you up on your offer, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. I, 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 I confess you. I believe that you died for my sins, and I'm just going to give you all my I repent of my sins and lift me up out of this dumpster. Oh, my. How, that's easy. That's easy. God made it easy for us to go to heaven. He really did. People make it hard. You've heard me say this before. I want to make it hard for people to go to hell. I want you to see how easy it is just to be saved this morning and let God pick you up out of the dumpster and start his tweaking process. How many of you are still being tweaked? Man, oh man, he tweaks me every day. It's painful sometimes. Sometimes God changes me in ways I don't want to be changed. You may not believe this, but I can be kind of stubborn. <laughs> Fortunately, my wife had meetings to go to and she's already slipped out, so she can't amen that at all. But I, I, uh, I can be stubborn, we all can. But God tweaks us as he sees fit. and does a pretty good job. So Jesus sees this cheat and decides, I'm going to call him, follow me. None of us would have picked him. It, I wouldn't have if, if let, let's say, let's say I was, I was going to appoint elders, some more elders. And say, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to find some more elders or leaders in the church. I wouldn't have picked Matthew. Well, Levi, but he, he was also Matthew. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I wouldn't have picked this guy. The guy who cheats the entire town on, out of their tax money. How effective do you think, if, it got, if word got around town that I picked a cheater and a scoundrel to be one of the leaders of this church, how do you think that would go over? It wouldn't make sense. I would not have chosen him, but Jesus chose him. I wouldn't have picked me. I know how I was. I wouldn't have picked me. For whatever reason, beyond me, he did. Jesus picked Levi. But here's the thing. He didn't pick him with intentions of leaving Levi the way he was. Levi didn't continue being a cheating scoundrel. Levi got saved. God began to change him. And before it's all said and done, people could acknowledge, hey, he's a, he's a good guy. Who gets the glory for that? When God picks the worst among us and changes them, who gets the glory for that? God does. Hallelujah. Jesus went right into the dumpster to, to call Levi. But then here's what is interesting to me. After that happens, Levi rose and he follows Jesus. In the verse 15, as he reclined at his table, this is, at, this is Levi's house, okay? They all went to Levi's house afterwards. They reclined at the table in, Levi, in his house, in Levi's house. This is, the, this is the group of people who were there. Many tax collectors. Okay, so all Levi's buddies came. All of the cheats, all of the scoundrels, the liars, they all came to this party. They came to this dinner. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with, with Jesus. Everybody say, with Jesus. With Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I mean, in this group of people, at this, attending this party were prostitutes, cheaters, drunkards, adulterers, you name it. You name it. They did it all. And this is the group of people that Levi brings to his house. And Jesus is invited to this party. He's invited to this dinner. And thank goodness, Jesus didn't say, I ain't hanging around that kind of crowd. I've heard people say before, 
you know, I've heard preachers say before, somebody's you maybe cursing around them or somebody's doing something around them and they'll say, don't you know I'm a preacher? Like, like, I, like people should bow to me because I'm, big deal. I mean, we, we shouldn't be taken back. We shouldn't be offended when sinners sin. Good grief. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't say, oh, I, I'm too holy to be associated with a crowd. Like He went right in there, reclined, kicked back his recliner and visited with them. He associated with them. And the, the reason Jesus did is the only reason you and I are saved today. Jesus associates with sinners. Hallelujah. Jesus said, look, I can't find, I'm going to go into the dumpster and I'm going to find what people consider to be trash and I'm going to turn it into a treasure. Most of the people of that society, even the church, in fact, later you read on down through there, and Jesus got ridiculed for going. The holy people, the church people, thought they were better than everybody else, said, oh, well, Jesus, if he was really from God, he wouldn't go, he didn't, he wouldn't go and associate with those people. And Jesus, Jesus said, look, it's not, it's not the healthy people that need a doctor. Healthy people don't go to the hospital. Sick people do. Jesus said, look, I come to heal. I come to save. I come to repair. I didn't come to minister to the people who got all their stuff together. First of all, because nobody does. I didn't come to minister to the holy people. I came to find people who were spiritually sick and lost and save them. <laughs> Jesus went into the dumpster, ministered to those people. They were drawn to him. They weren't condemned. They were convicted. I mean, they recognized by being around Jesus that their life wasn't right with God. It's important for us to have conviction. If you're, if you're not saved this morning and you're sitting here and you feel, you feel this guilt for your sin and you feel, you know, kind of this uneasiness and awkwardness, that's good. That's conviction. That's not God beating you down and condemning you. That, that's God just showing you the condition of your heart. And once God shows us the condition of our heart and that we're not right with God, then we can get right with God. The only way you're going to go to the hospital for help is if you recognize that you need help. Is that correct? So Jesus goes to this, this party of all of these people and he ministers to them and their, their ears are open. And what we find when we go in now through there, not only did Levi, whose name was also Matthew, began to follow Jesus and became a valuable disciple, a valuable asset to the kingdom of God. Do you, can you imagine, do you know when you look at the first book of the New Testament, one of the four gospels was written by a, uh, written by a name, a guy by the name of Matthew. You know what the name of the book is? Matthew, go figure. The book of Matthew, this Levi, who is also called Matthew, who was a sinner, who was a tax collector, who Jesus found in the spiritual dump. Jesus pulled him out, saved him, cleansed him, called him, anointed him, changed him, and used him to write one of the gospels in which you and I today 2,019 years later, can still read about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People today are still being rescued from the dump heap of sin because of what God has done through Matthew in saving him from the dump heap of sin. Unreal. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. This is a familiar story. You'll You've read it and heard it. 
Let's talk about it just a little bit. Luke 15, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking a parable. If you don't know what a parable was, a parable, and Jesus spoke a lot of parables. And basically what it was was a story that had a spiritual meaning to it. Okay, he would tell a story about something using, it's an illustration, maybe that's a better word for it. Jesus would give many illustrations. And so this is a, an illustration that Jesus is giving. And he says, there's a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them, both sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to the pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods of the food that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. It's quite a ride this guy has taken. So you can see how arrogant foolish this young man was when he basically what he does he just comes to daddy and said dad you look I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance his dad was a wealthy man this young man knew that as soon as dad dies I'm going to be rich I'm going to get all this money but why wait nobody likes to do that right why wait till dad dies he may, he may hang on for another several years I'd like to have that inheritance now so he goes to his dad and he asks for it and his dad does a strange thing he gives him what he wants You've heard me say this a lot. Sometimes one of the most harsh things God can do to you and me is to give us what we want. When God gives us what we want, in many cases, it works out not in our favor, but in our detriment. And so the father says, all right, son, I'm going to do that. And he just pours on the cash, gives him his inheritance now. And the guy says, I'm done with work. I'm done taking orders from dad. So he's an old fogey anyway. I'm going to go out and have a little fun. Because that's in the nature of the human soul. We want to have fun. We want to have pleasure. And the devil comes along and he makes, he makes sin seem so pleasurable. In fact, the Bible goes on and is honest enough to say that there is pleasure in sin. Sin's fun for a season, right? There comes a time, however much fun we have in sin... The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the money. However much fun we have in that sin and the pleasure that it brings, there comes a point where it doesn't satisfy anymore. Write it down, mark it down. I guarantee you there comes a point where it doesn't satisfy anymore. And so that's what happened with this guy in the sense that he just, he's got it made. He's having fun. He's, he's buying prostitutes with this money. He's drinking it up. He's, you got all of these friends. He's in the bar. Buy another round. It's on me. And everybody's singing his praises. What a great guy. Got their arm around him, patting him on the back, and he's just living it up. And he's having a great time. But as sin always does, it them, left him empty. He finally spent his last dollar, and then the economy collapsed. There's a great famine and drought in the land. And as everything come crashing down, so did he. He finds himself now with nothing. 
and he's hungry, the only way he can find work in order to provide, get some food for his belly, the only job he could find was slopping pigs. It goes on to say he would have even eaten the slop that the pigs were eating. That's pretty low. I mean, you say that's, that's pretty dumpster-like. I mean, he was in the pit. He was in the trash heap, and life stunk. Everything had been stripped. But the Bible says that there come a moment in, in this son's mind that he realizes that he'd made a mistake. He realized that he'd made a bad decision. He realized that he had sinned, and he'd come to a place where he was willing to confess it. So here the deal is this morning. The shame is not in what you've done. The shame is in the fact that you're not willing to confess it. Really. Forget what it was that you did. It doesn't matter. Are you willing to confess it before God and admit, I, I made a mistake. I sinned against you, God. And he, he acknowledged finally in his mind that he had made a very bad decision. And he decides to himself, look, dad is still wealthy and he has servants. He has slaves that are eating better than I am. So I'm going to go back to dad and I'm just going to go there for a job. I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. He was so guilty and condemned. I'm not worthy to even, it was everything he could muster just to ask his dad for a job. But he said, I don't deserve to be his son. And so he goes back. He's, he's playing it over. He's, he's practicing it in his mind on his way back to his dad's house. Dad, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done what I'd done. Just let me, if you just give me a job, you don't have to let me live in the house. I don't have to be your son. He's in his mind and he's wondering, you know he's wondering, is dad going to tell me to get lost? When I go back and I tell my dad that I wasted all of it, I mean, this, this dad worked for it. I mean, this was money that the dad earned and worked hard. There was blood, sweat, and tears shed in order for that money to be given. And when I go back and I tell my dad that I wasted all of his hard-earned money on just junky living, what's he going to say? I mean, is, is he going to tell me, I don't, you're dead to me? I don't want to see your face. You have, you have disgraced. You've dishonored me. You've made a fool out of this family. Get, get out of my sight. You're dead to me. Or, or will he maybe, you know, have pity enough to say, all right, but I'll, I'll let you work for me. But you're not my son. It's not going to be like it was. You don't have access into my house. You will be like all the other slaves. Maybe he'll have a little bit of pity. But this son, I don't think, ever dreamed what the father was actually going to do. I don't think it was even in the cards. I don't think that the son ever even expected or thought of, but maybe he'll just completely forgive me. <laughs> I don't deserve that, so I know he's not going to. And did he? No. I mean, honestly, if, if the father would have said, get out of my sight... You're on your own. You wanted to be on your own? You're on your own. Would the father have been justified in doing that? Oh, yeah. Father would have been completely justified. Nobody would have blamed him. The son wouldn't have blamed him. But the father decided not to give the son what he deserved. <laughs> I mean, you glad Jesus didn't give you what you deserved. Amen? So little did this young man expect that as he's getting closer to his dad's house, he, he sees it in view. His old home, his stomping ground, the old home place. 
is he sees the house now in view, wondering what's going to be like. These next 10, 15 minutes are going to determine really what direction my life goes from here. And as he's walking back home, and his dad steps out on the porch, drinking a cup of coffee, I don't know, just brewed the Folgers. I don't know, but what maybe that father didn't step out every day on that porch looking to see if his son might be coming home. But as the dad, leaning up against the post of the porch, drinking his coffee, and he looks out and he sees something on the horizon. He looks and he goes, what? what is that? Is that a deer? And he runs and gets his 30 out six. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is that? And it, the closer the boy got, the more the father's eyes tuned in, and it finally got to that distance where the father could recognize, that's my boy. That's him. He, he's come home. He didn't cross his arms, wait for the boy to come to him. He didn't go in the house and lock up and pretend he wasn't home. The dad throws down his cup of coffee, jumps off the porch, and runs as hard as he can run towards his son. And when he gets there, this boy was a sight. He stunk. He had to have. You don't slop pigs every day without getting some slop on you. I mean, this boy had been in the dumpster. This boy had been in the pit. He stunk. His hair was probably matted and he was dirty and all you could see was the whites of his eyes. And this loving father runs to his son, bear hugs him up and just cries and weeps and kisses him right through the nasty pig poo. Kisses him right on the face. Wipes off the pig poo, kisses him right on the cheek. Loves him, tears pouring down the father's face. I am so glad you're home. I've been waiting for this moment. So the son looks at his dad. Probably doesn't look at his dad. Probably looks at the ground. Can't stand to look his dad in the eye. Looks at the ground. He said, dad, and he confesses to all that he had done. I wasted all your money. I don't have a penny left. And I don't deserve I don't deserve for you to even give me a job, and I'm asking you for one because I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't deserve to be your son. If you'll just give me a job, I'll stay out of your way. Little did that boy expect to say, absolutely not. You're my son. You're my son. You were dead. I didn't know where you were at. I wondered every night. But you were, and you're home. You're alive again. And so the father says, bring this boy a new robe, probably bathed him first, with me, I guess. Take his boy, get him a shower, get him a haircut, put a new robe on him, put my, fi- my ring on his finger. He restored him, completely restored him as a son. He didn't live with the servants. He had access to his dad's home. He had access to his dad's stuff. Everything remaining, he, he had access. The dad restored him as though he had never, ever left. Jesus didn't tell this parable just to be a bedtime story. The reason Jesus told this parable was so that you and I in the entire world can get a picture of what God's heart is really like. That God is not here to cast us away and 
He doesn't want to punish us. He doesn't want to see us lost for all eternity in hell. God is that father who runs for us when we come to him. He is that father who reaches down and pulls us out of the dumpster and says, I'm glad to do it. You are my son. You're a child of God. And I'm not going to let, I'm not going to put you out to feed at the pigs. He went from the pig's pig's stable to the father's table. Amen. I've got a place for you at the table. It's been open. It's been, it's been vacant. It's been ready for you to return. I imagine every day when the father would call all of his family and the people around the table to eat, I, I can almost picture that, that empty chair. Somebody start to sit there. No, 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 no. You can't sit in that seat. That's my son's seat. Well, he's long gone. He may come home. Save that seat so that he would always have a place at his dad's table. Wow. God said, look, I've left a place for you. Every human being on the face of the planet has a reserved seat at God's table to receive forgiveness for sin, to receive restoration and forgiveness and to be made new. God said, I've I've reserved you a spot if you're willing to come and sit there. All I need you to do is just be honest with yourself that you've sinned and that you've done that which is wrong. That's easy for any of us to do. That's the easy part, really. Have you sinned? Yeah. Probably in the last five minutes. I mean, it's easy for us to acknowledge that we've sinned. Just acknowledge that and acknowledge that you need a deliverer. Acknowledge that you're in the dumpster. And I need deliverance. I need Jesus to reach down into this pit that I'm in and pull me out. He will. Did you hear me? He will. I can say that to you boldly today because I believe what the word of God says that anybody who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That everybody who comes to Jesus, this is what the word of God says, anybody who comes to him, he said, I will in no wise cast them out. Everybody's got a place at my table. I'm gonna bring them in. I'll share this last thought with you and then I'm gonna close. I'm not even going to make you turn there, but you can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 18. And I want to encourage you to look this up. Jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 6. God called Jeremiah with a specific message he wanted him to give the Israelites. A people who spiritually had found themselves in the dumpster. They had just sinned against God in all kinds of ways they never thought as a country they ever would. But God continued to plea with them. God is not near as concerned about where you've been. He's more concerned about where you're going, right? So God didn't bring up all the sins that Israel had committed. He just sends Jeremiah to tell him, look, all you got to do is repent and turn to me. I'll forgive you and I'll, I'll make everything right. And God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. To the man who, you know, the, you've seen the, the guys, they have the stone and they put the lump of clay on there and it spins and they put the water on their hands and they, as it spins, the, the potter begins to take that lump of clay and mold it and shape it and change it and they turn it into something that's useful. A lump of clay is not very useful. But once it gets in the potter's hands, they, they can make it into something. And he said, I want you to go to the potter's house and watch what he's doing. I've got to, I want to use that as an illustration I'm going to use that as a parable to, make, to get a message across to people who are in the dumpster. 
tell them. And so he went down and he's watching the potter and he's molding this lump of clay and he gets it looking fairly good, but the Bible says it was, it was marred. It, it, was, it was broken. It was messed up. It just, it just wasn't right. There was just something about this lump of clay. It wasn't working the way it was supposed to. And it just finally, it just was marred. And a lot of people would have took that lump of clay and said, I can't do anything with this. It's all marred and messed up. I'm just gonna throw it into the dumpster and I'm gonna get another lump of clay and start over. I'm gonna throw the clay away and start over. But what Jeremiah noticed as he was watching this potter, he never threw the clay away. He kept working it. He, he mashed it down. He started over. And he continued until he finally turned that lump of clay into a vessel that was useful. Again, not just a bedtime story. A message that God wants to give to all humanity that even though we're broken, even though we've messed up, even though we're covered in sin, we're marred, God never throws us and casts us into the dumpster of despair. He continues to work on us. He continues to change us. He continues to love us to the point where he will, he's willing to invest, let me put it to you this way. God is willing to invest as much time in you as you're willing to allow him to invest. I mean, he's already invested it all in the sense that he went to the cross. In the sense that he died on the cross so that you, you and I could be saved anyway. But God said, I will continue to invest in you if you'll allow me to. 